Welcome to Photoactive, a podcast about photography in the Apple ecosystem. I'm Kirk McElhern. And I'm Jeff Carlson. This episode is brought to you by Masters of Photography, online masterclasses with the greatest photographers in the world. We'll have a special offer for you on Masters of Photography courses later in the show. Thanks for tuning in again. This is episode number 15. If you haven't checked out our Facebook group yet, drop in and say hi. You can find it at facebook.com slash groups slash photoactivecast, or you can just go to our website, photoactive.co, and click the little F button at the top right. We discuss the podcast, and we invite you to drop some of your photos in, and we can talk about the photos there. Also, if you haven't yet given us a rating or a review on iTunes or on every other podcast aggregator that you know in the world, please do. Five-star rating, tell everyone why you like us, or if you don't, tell us anyway. You can send us feedback through our website at photoactive.co. And with all that, let's get to the show. No point wasting time. You know, if you follow me on Instagram, hint, hint, you should follow me on Instagram. My username is McElhern. You'll notice that I've been taking a lot of photos of a wheat field recently. I live in an old farmhouse next to a farm in rural England, and one of the fields is full of wheat. My landlord, who is the farmer, has about 200 acres, and there are these huge wheat fields. And I've been documenting this over the summer, and then particularly a couple of weeks ago when he started harvesting the wheat. And I was thinking, wouldn't it have been great if I could have set up a camera and had time-lapse photos of all of this going on? What a great idea. Um, <laughs> did you do that? <laughs> I didn't, because then I would have to put my camera outside someplace and leave it there. It's not in direct line of my house. If I go up to the bedroom windows upstairs, I can get like a corner of the field, but the field stretches out. So there is the problem of that. And I could have climbed a tree and put a camera up in the tree, but <laughs> that gets a little complicated. Then it starts to get dangerous. dangerous yeah. We don't want to advocate any 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 dangerous activity uh, for, for our listeners. But I think a, a time lapse would have been really interesting there, especially if it was something over a long period of time where you could you know see the wheat going away and the, the, the machines moving, which brings us to the reason why we're talking about time lapses today. It's a type of photography, technically it's it's videography in a sense because you're combining a lot of still photos and turning it into a movie, but it's something that has a really cool effect. Whether it's, you know, watching weather patterns come through or traffic or, you know, all sorts of different possibilities. It's something that is different than just staring at a single photo. And it turns out it can be something that's very easy to do, especially with smartphones now. There are also many more complicated ways to achieve time lapses because, of course, this is photography. There's always a complicated way to do something. But you can create time lapse photos with hardly any effort at all that are great and are especially good for sharing over Instagram or you know showing family. Sometimes I see these pictures of flowers blooming or growing and all that, and they look like videos. And in some cases, the flowers do move quickly enough. So could you just shoot a video and edit it down to make it look like that or make it go faster? What's the actual difference between a video and a set of time-lapse photographs? Yeah, you, you absolutely could. The, there are a couple of differences. If you're shooting a lot of high-res video over a long period of time. That's just going to take up a massive amount of storage, especially for something that what you're going to eventually do is is compress that into a much shorter time because, of course, you don't want to just have it in real time. So, you know, you, you can absolutely shoot that in video and, and bring it in and compress it, but you're, you're sort of doing more work 
than you need ultimately for for what you end up with. Instead, by shooting a time lapse as a whole bunch of still photos, you have the ability to space the shots over a longer period of time. So, for example, let's say you want to show several hours worth of time just compressed into, you know, maybe 10 seconds. Perhaps you would take a still frame every minute or every 30 seconds or in the case of really long time lapses, you might take a shot every five minutes or so. What that also gives you is a whole bunch of still images that are full resolution. If you're shooting video, you're going to get video blur, you're going to get interpolation between frames, and with time-lapse photography, you are capturing your high-res still photos that you can then use as, as, as photos separately if you want. Right, and you can do time-lapse over a short period of time, in which case, what, a day, a week, something like that. But you can also do time-lapse over a very, very long period of time. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a video I saw recently. And of course, technically, it's not a video. A girl took a selfie of herself every day for eight years oh, and yeah. spliced it into a time-lapse. And what's interesting, when you watch the photo, is the software is changing the angle of each frame slightly because her face isn't always in the same position, but it's got her face centered and it's really fascinating. And this is an eight-year time lapse. You know, here we're talking days and weeks, but you can do this over a very long period of time if you want. I'll also link to one where there was a guy who spent a year, I think, walking through China and took a picture of himself every day or a few every day. And it's it's fun just to see. <laughs> Basically, he starts off really clean shaven and and almost bald and ends up with, you know, this like big, long, scraggly beard. And that extreme change in time is interesting, but you also get a lot of flavor of what's going on behind him and people that are that are there. And it, it's just a really nice novel way of, 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 of telling a story, basically. And, you know, we're going to come back to this all the time and that, you know, photography is telling a story. And time lapse is an instance where you get to tell a story in time rather than just a, a, a slice of time. And what these two videos show is, while we generally think of time lapse as focusing on one particular thing and watching it, say a, a flower growing and blooming or a building being built, with certain software, you can stitch together photos as long as you have the same subject in one spot. In, in these two cases, these are people and the surroundings are going to change. So they don't have to be in the same place. We're mostly going to talk about you're setting up your camera on a tripod and you're setting a frequency. But you can also make these sort of different time lapses. You know, imagine we had Quentin Lake on a few weeks ago. Imagine if he took a picture of himself every morning when he got up as he's walking around the Scottish landscape for five and a half years. That would be fascinating. Maybe he's actually doing that and he didn't tell us. It's great that you bring that up because there are so many different types of time lapses. Even having a camera or an iPhone mounted on the dashboard of your car can make a great travel time lapse, you know, because you're traveling somewhere and oftentimes that's really kind of a sometimes a boring part of your travel of your vacation but you can just set this up let it go and have it record and you end up with this great say 20 seconds of driving through wonderful wilderness you know it goes by super quickly but it gives you that flavor of where you are and then you can then you know lead into other photos or and all that. So really quickly, let's talk about what you need to get a, a, a time lapse. Number one, you need a tripod because you need something that will hold that camera steady. You can do it without, but 
you could induce seizures just because <laughs> the 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 camera you know moving so much or, or a mount as you said on the dashboard of your car or a mount yes yeah. but something that keeps it static you also need a way to automate time to capture with the iPhone there is a time lapse mode built into the camera app that really does all the work for you if you're using a traditional camera there are either options in the camera software or you can buy a separate intervalometer. I was recently testing this MyOps mobile dongle that I mentioned in a snapshot, and that was great for being able to set up a capture every X number of seconds and just have it do that. Because you could certainly stand there with a pocket watch and you know press the shutter button every minute, but that's kind of ridiculous. A pocket watch? A pocket watch. Wow, did I just say pocket watch? <laughs> you did. That is the ultimate hipster toy, isn't it? Why haven't pocket watches had a resurgence in popularity? Because it's one more thing you got to carry, I guess. Yeah, but it's like the vinyl of wristwatches. Somewhere, somewhere, I'm sure, in San Francisco, there are people with pocket watches saying, yes, 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 you know I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the third thing that you need is some interesting scene that changes over time. Now, what's great about time-lapse is... That can be almost anywhere because weather patterns move, crops get, get harvested. You know, just like being at a busy intersection can be interesting watching traffic go by and people go by. You want something that isn't just paint drying or actually, <laughs> quite honestly, you could do a time lapse of paint drying. Well, one, one thing you can do, here, here's an idea just to try it out. Jeff's situation is relatively simple. Put a camera on a tripod, point it out your window, set it when you go to sleep, and let it go for 24 hours. And you'll get the light and the sun as the sun rises and the clouds go by in the sky and then they'll go down. And that alone, it's not going to have any artistic merit. It's not Georges Méliès going to the moon, you know, the, the first film. But it's a good way to get a taste of what time-lapse photography can do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's take a break so we can have a word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how to make time-lapse photography videos. Masters of Photography is a unique online learning platform that brings together some of the world's most acclaimed photographers, the masters. You can enjoy an unprecedented insight into the way these photographers work during intimate lessons that capture their knowledge, ethos, and philosophy. I've taken the Masters of Photography course with Joel Myrowitz, one of my favorite photographers, and I was impressed by his passion for photography and his desire to transmit his knowledge to others. With more than five hours of video and 34 lessons, Joel Marowitz discusses technique, inspiration, and his career, and gives some practical tips about shooting in the street, taking portraits, and even still life photography. I strongly recommend this course with Joel Marowitz, and Masters of Photography has a special offer for photoactive listeners. Get 5% off any course with the code photoactive. Go to mastersof.photography and enter the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE or use the link in our show notes. That's mastersof.photography. I really enjoyed this course, and I think you will too. Jeff, tell us the actual steps to follow to make a time-lapse. Should we call this a time-lapse photograph, a time-lapse video, a time-lapse photography video? What's the best way to call it? That's a good question. Um, I, I think a time-lapse video. Okay. So if you have an iPhone, the easiest way to do this is to just switch to the time-lapse mode in the, the camera app. And true to Apple form, they've made this feature completely easy to use. You set up the phone, point it at something, 
and push the big red button. Once you do start a time lapse, the app does something really interesting. It's basically taking a shot every few seconds. There's a little countdown timer. It's not actually specific as to when it's taking a picture. You just sort of have to assume that it's doing it. So in that respect, it's completely opaque. And when you press the button again after some period of time has elapsed, you end up with the video. So now what's interesting is, is how Apple's doing this. You'll notice that it hasn't given you any options over how many pictures to take or what interval to take them in. And what Apple is doing is something really clever. There are a couple of guys who run a company called Studio Neat. We've mentioned them before because they make this great holder for the iPhone called the Glyph. And just so happens that it's great for mounting that on a tripod. And so when Apple introduced this feature, they dug into what was going on. What's interesting about Apple's approach is that it is basically adapting what it's recording depending on how long you record it for. So it's not going to just take a picture every five seconds or a picture every one second or one minute because you could just let it go on and on and then pretty soon your your phone would just fill up. And so what it's doing is um, it is changing based on the overall duration. There's a link in the show notes that points to this blog post that the Studio Neat guys wrote. For example, if you record for less than 10 minutes, it's capturing two frames every second. If you record for, say, 40 minutes, it's capturing one frame every four seconds. And so the longer you record, the fewer frames get captured and the faster the the video appears. And so you end up getting a video that's somewhere between 20 and 40 seconds, regardless of how long you're actually recording. So it's a very clever approach that bypasses a lot of technical problems that you could run into. Because most people wouldn't know what frequency to use, depending on what they're shooting. And also Apple's making it so you can do this while you're holding the iPhone in your hand or on a tripod and not worrying about setting it up for 24 hours. You can just do it while your kids are running around, while your cats are running around. I was actually filming you on the screen while you were talking here. And it was interesting because, as you say, it made a, a video that was a few seconds long, and I can see your lips moving really fast and, and all that. So a Apple has made it idiot-proof. But obviously, if you want to do anything serious, you want to have control over these options. Before I jump into that, I also want to mention another app that, that is fun to try. It's called Hyperlapse, and it's actually by Instagram. It has a little bit more control, but it is also intended to just hold the phone up and take a time lapse. It's great if you're flying to just put the phone next to the window as the plane lands or as you're circling over over a city, like that sort of thing, where you're not necessarily going to get all set up with a tripod and go to those links. But, you, you know, you take a really quick hyperlapse and share it. And it's, it's, it's great. And it's also good when you're hanging out with a bunch of friends and you can film them for a while. And then if you can overlay the Benny Hill music, that, <laughs> that gives people something to remember the event by. We need to, we need to find like a good Benny Hill clip. We'll put one in the show notes, yeah. Any time-lapse sequence, I swear the Benny Hill music pops into my head right away. Exactly, yeah. Now, 
let's say we want to get a little bit more sophisticated than that. So let's move on to doing this with a traditional camera. It takes a little bit more work, and it can be a lot more sophisticated depending on how crazy you want to go. You've probably seen some amazing time lapses of like uh, the fog coming through San Francisco and people who do a lot of serious time lapses put a huge amount of time and a lot of equipment into it. What's nice about that, though, is that you don't need a really expensive camera. You can do it with your DSLR or your mirrorless camera. What you do need is an intervalometer. And sometimes that's a feature that's built into the camera, or it can be a separate device that plugs into the camera. They're usually about $25. It's not a, a, an expensive thing. Of course, you can get things that are more expensive. That MyOps mobile dongle, I think, is like around $40. But you need to have your phone next to the camera the whole time when you're using the MyOps, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. An intervalometer is just a little battery-powered cable with a readout. Or, you know, again, use the intervalometer built into most modern cameras that will let you specify how many pictures to take over, over how much. But that also brings up another interesting point, power. If you're going to do a time lapse over a really long period of time, let's say you're doing Starfield all night, you're going to need to be able to have some sort of backup power or you got to be there to swap out batteries between shots. Even if you're taking a long time lapse with your phone, you will want to plug that in to some sort of power source. Right, because the camera has to stay awake the whole time. It's not going to wake up itself to take its next picture. Exactly. And there are some other creative complications that you can get into, which I will admit I, I have not done, but it's out there. You can buy these slider rigs that move the camera over the course of time and get a really nice effect. So it's not just a, a static shot of a city or a mountain or, or clouds. You get that, that cinematic move. You don't necessarily need to do that. You can do that in software. If you bring that into a video editing application, even iMovie will do it. will let you sort of zoom in and out a bit. But when you really get serious about it, that sort of mechanized slider can really achieve a nice effect. There are a number of TV series that use this as either establishing shots or opening credit shots. House of Cards does a really interesting job of this. The opening credits are over a time-lapse thing in the background, and it's not just the sky that's moving, but the camera's moving as well. It's panning, it's traveling, etc. I think, is it Goliath or Bosch, one of the TV series that's on Amazon that does this as like establishing shots? Like, they'll set up a time-lapse, to show that the day has gone to evening and evening has gone to morning before they bring back the characters. Nice creative use of it, too. In terms of uh, sort of tips for doing this, two things are, are very important. You want to shoot in JPEG, partially because of file size issues. You're going to end up with hundreds or thousands of images. If you're shooting in RAW, that's just going to take up a massive amount of storage that you don't really need because you're not going to go in and adjust every single raw file. And you're only going to see each of these photos for a fraction of a second. Although there are times when it's great to shoot in raw, see our previous episode about raw versus JPEG. This is one where you don't really need to. And the other thing is you want to try to shoot in manual modes for everything. So for example, you want manual focus because you don't want the camera trying to lock focus with every shot. Something could move in front of the frame. You want to keep your exposure at a consistent level. 
I'll go back to that in just a second. Because what it becomes immediately noticeable if you have settings that change a lot over the course of the, this time period, you're going to get a flicker. You're going to get kind of a, an unnatural bounce. I'll put a link to a video that I made that is a decent time lapse, but you can definitely tell where it was a, a time lapse of a sunset. You could see where I was trying not to have it go dark too early. It's a fine example of what can be done. It's not the best. Right. You you don't want the exposure to change because you want to see the change between day and night, assuming that you're doing a time lapse overnight. If you're doing a time lapse every day, then maybe you do want the exposure to change because the weather's going to be changing every day. And if it's darker at a certain time and brighter at another, that'll make it kind of flashy, won't it? Right. And in, in some cases, it's fine to have that change because, you know, clouds roll in, things get darker. You don't want a consistent exposure the whole time. But at the same time, you don't want to have it suddenly get bright and just blow everything out. And so you have a few seconds where you just can't really see anything. Now, the ex exception to this is a feature called bulb ramp time lapse that some intervalometers will do, some, some software like uh, apps will enable. And basically that tells the camera to automatically adjust its exposure over time so that you get more of a, a blend, again, like, like say you're going from day into night, without having to manually jump in. And then before we wrap up, I just want to mention the last step in, in creating a time lapse is once you have all these photos, you have to do something with them. There are a number of ways to do that. I found an app on the Mac called Sequence that is perfect for just throwing all the photos together. iMovie can do it. Something like Photoshop can technically do it, but if you're talking about hundreds or thousands of images, that'll just overwhelm Photoshop and, and drive your computer into the ground. I know that from experience. <laughs> Isn't the idea of a time lapse that you figure out the duration and just the way Apple does it, in fact, you figure out the duration and you calculate how many images you're going to use. So if you really want to make a video, don't you have to sort of work backwards? Let's say you want your video to be 30 seconds and you're going to be filming this over 12 hours. So you need to calculate how long each frame displays and that tells you how many photos you want. Is that the way it works? Yeah, exactly. When you're doing that calculation, you have to figure out what speed the video will play at. So usually it's like 25 frames per second or 30 frames per second is, is video. And then figure out a, a target of, you know, I want this to be a 10 second video and then do the math based on that. What's nice is because you have all these intervals, let's say you shoot several hours that gives you enough buffer that, you know, you, you can take frames out to condense the duration of your final video and still be fine. Right. So as you look at your photos, maybe you'll find that there's a bad shadow in one or someone got in the frame for another one. So you can just cut them out. You have a lot of latitude because, again, they're only going to be visible for a very short time. In many cases, you're not going to be having 25 frames per second. You might have each frame for half a second or something like that. The only time you want that many frames is when you want movement to be really, really high quality. It depends on what you're shooting. I guess this is one of those techniques that takes a lot of practice, that you shoot, you come back, you assemble, you see how it looks, and then you think of ways that can make it better. More frames, fewer frames, and all that. The problem is, of course, it takes so long to shoot that this is not a process that's very easy to do. 
On the other hand, if you can just set up the camera on a tripod and walk away and, I don't know, bake some bread and then you come back and you've got photos, you don't really have to do very much other than the setup and the post-processing. It does mean if you're shooting with an iPhone that you can't use your iPhone. And so for some people that might be, you know, okay, well... I'm never going to do a time lapse because I, I got to check my mail. You got to check Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I got to check Instagram. <laughs> okay. So Jeff is going to put some examples of his time lapses in the show notes, right, Jeff? Absolutely. And, and some other better time lapses. I'm not very good at this, but what's great is I enjoy trying to make them. And, you know, even a bad time lapse can still be entertaining. So you're not going to go out and do it wrong, which is a really important thing to remember. Put the time in, play around, experiment, and it's a fun result that doesn't require a whole lot of extra work, or it can require a lot of extra effort if you want to get into it. But you don't have to like jump to that extreme. Okay, I'm tempted. I wish I had known this when the wheat was being harvested, but I might do this with, say, my iPad and stick it out in the garden for a while and see what happens. Yeah, or go... Ask the harvesters to redo the harvest. <laughs> to put the wheat back. <laughs> okay, snapshots. What have you got this week, Jeff? This week, I'm going to point to something that I can't say is really good, but it's an interesting thing to see. So the camera store Adorama, they create a lot of different videos, and they created a reality show called Top Photographer. And... That probably raises your hackles. You're like, oh, no, that sounds terrible. And it sort of is. Basically, you have a number of, of contestants, and they're all trying to be the top photographer. And in every episode, they're sort of put into a photo situation where they have to make a good shot. They can't do any, any retouching. And, you know, oftentimes there's like a photo shoot with an athlete, and you have 30 minutes, and that's it. What's interesting about it is it's just seeing people puzzle through the problems of doing a photo shoot or a landscape shot from the top of the Empire State Building. It's mildly entertaining. It's kind of hokey. I'm sure they'll never do it again. But it's a fun sort of behind-the-scenes look at how photographers are figuring things out. And in, in that great sort of reality show uh, tradition, there are some people on there that you're like, how does this person even get to this point? Because he seems like he knows nothing about photography in the first place. And I'm sure that's the entertainment factor. And, and these are professional photographers? Uh, these are like semi-professional photographers. Right. Because the pros are too busy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. But it's, it's entertaining. It's, it's short. It's, it's on YouTube. It's, it's worth checking out. And now, Kirk, how about you this week? I've got a book. What a surprise. It's not a photo book. It's actually a book about how to do things. I've mentioned the app Affinity Photo that I use for some photo editing. I like Affinity Photo because it's $50. There's no subscription like with Lightroom. I dislike Affinity Photo because it's really complicated and I don't know how to do anything or find anything. Sometime last year, they came out with this book called Affinity Photo Workbook. It's a very big, heavy, hardcover book with glossy paper and... The first part of the book is get to know the software and here's where the things are. And then most of the book, about three quarters of it, is photo projects. And here's how to do this. And here's what you do to make this photo look like this. And you can download the files from their website. So you have both the finished version in an Affinity Photo file format, which shows all the changes, 
and the original version, either a TIFF or a RAW or a JPEG or whatever. The, the reason to do this is just to become familiar with this type of app. I mean, I'm not a photo editing guy. I've always said I do most of my editing in Apple Photos. So I don't know that most of these features even exist. So going through this is in a way just saying to me, well, here's what you can do with this app. It's not necessarily telling me how to use it as such. It is showing it in the context, but it's alerting me to the presence of this sort of thing. So I find this interesting. I, I just pulled it out today. I had gone through part of it some months ago and I'd put it aside and I looked through a couple of the sample projects. I've learned a lot about the kinds of things you can do and I still don't want to do this kind of editing to my photos, but there are some little tweaks that I've learned about that I'm thinking, well, yeah, I would like to do some of that. You say it, it, it's hardbound, right? Yes, it's a big, heavy hardcover book. That seems like a really interesting choice for something that is a a, a software book. We come from a backgrounds of writing uh, ebooks and trade paperbacks. I've I've never published a book that I've written as a hardcover. I've translated books that have been hardcovers, but every computer book I've written has always been a softcover. Right, right, right. And so, like, this almost looks like a, as much of a an artistic piece as it. An informative piece, is that right? It is a premium book. It's glossy paper. It's very good printing. As I said, it's heavy because it's coated paper. So it is a nice object. It's well-made. And and as we appreciate books, it is better than your average, you know, Photoshop book. Thanks for listening to Photoactive. You can find show notes, including any photos we discuss in the show, at photoactive.co. That's photoactive.co. We couldn't afford the M. You can subscribe to Photoactive in your favorite podcast app or in Apple Podcasts. See the links on our website. And think about leaving us a rating or review on iTunes or in your podcast app. Don't forget that you can get 5% off any course at Masters of Photography with the coupon code PHOTOACTIVE. That's PHOTOACTIVE in one word. Go to mastersof.photography or use the link in our show notes. Until next week, thanks again for listening.